a little bit. You may remember, like, there's been some things stirring, I believe, in the Spirit. Some of you may be sensitive to that in this place as it relates to us as a church, all these kinds of things. And if you're not, don't worry. You will be. But, like, just listen and take my word for it for now. <laughs> um, this message, again, is about the Holy Spirit. You might remember two weeks ago, I preached on the Holy Spirit, and I jammed, like, eight messages into one, which is probably too much. But... I felt like maybe we had like really tall grass, so we kind of just mowed it down really quick. But now we're going to start kind of cleaning things up. Pastor Kevin and I have been talking about, like we probably are going to take the whole summer and focus on the book of Acts, which will give us a good chance to really look into some aspects of the church, the activity of the Holy Spirit and stuff over a longer period of time. Um, but you also might remember a couple of weeks ago, a soft spoke, and he gave a message that was called, There is More. And it was kind of in the same vein. And so I stole his title for this message, which is like, there really is more. And then we might have to come back in a couple weeks and preach a third one, which maybe Pastor Kevin could do or somebody be like, no, seriously, there is more. And this is going to be our kind of theme leading up into uh, um, our act study. So this is, you're going to be like, haven't we covered some of this? Yes. And we're going to cover it again. So my main point today is to talk about Go to the blue one. This is OCD stuff. I need to go to the one. The, that's the one for today. That's the, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't know why it bothered me. Um, the, uh, this, is in, uh, this is also stirred up several. It's like God has been speaking to me. Other people have been speaking to me. And then I, a member of our church, uh, Mike Grasson, came to me with a prophetic word that God gave him. And this is a good note, just a note. He had a prophetic dream, I think more than once. I don't want to misquote that, but I think it was more than one time, but at least once it was very impactful to him. In, I think, November or December, he told me about it in December. Like, hey, I had a dream I want to share with you, but I want to pray about it before I do. And then he shared it with me a week ago. That's good, what he did just there. So if you feel God stirring something in you, this is good. The Bible talks about weighing and testing things like, the wrong way to do that is, I had this dream, I have to talk to you immediately, and here's how you have to change everything in the church. Me and the leaders are going to go, man, we're probably not going to do most of that, okay? So what we can do is if we take our time and handle properly, if God gives you a message, that's a serious thing. And we need to think about how we share that with people, who we share that with, all those kinds of things. And I think Mike did that the right way. And when he shared this with me, it went in. And what I mean by you say, like, prophetic message, what is this? Well, God speaks to us. However, he does, because he's God and all. And if you start in the Bible as a place where you hear from the Lord, which is a good one, you see throughout the Bible many examples of God speaking in many different ways. And he will still speak to us in those ways. So no matter how old you are, how young you are, God is speaking to you. And it's almost like we're a radio, you've got to tune in. You know, most of the time God is speaking, we just don't know it's God. Or we call it something else, like my imagination or my conscience or something like that. But God is speaking, okay? And one of the ways he speaks to people throughout the Bible, and the way he spoke to Mike about this, was a dream. You know, it's like I had a dream, and then God said this, you know. And he brought me this dream, and what it was was that I took him, and we were, like, in a place. I said, hey, you need to come see this. And we walked into this building, which might have represented the church or this building or something like that. And he said there was this, like, seriously awesome table built and prepared and I was like, check this table out, man. I made this. And he was like, whoa, that's like really awesome. But then it stuck with him 
that there was no food on the table. Like the table was awesome, no doubt there. Everything was good. There was nothing wrong, but there's no food. And so when he said that, I'm sorry, singing kind of messed my voice up. The, uh, the, uh, that stuck out to me very strong as well because it fit with things God had been telling me about. The Bible talks about prophetic words um, confirming things. This confirmed something to me that God was speaking to me about. This, so I went in a way to test this. And I believe that what God was saying through this vision and through other things that he was saying to me is this food on the table is the presence of God, his spirit, his presence, this sort of thing. And it is God's business to fill the table. Okay, like we need to have a table. We gather around the table. But the food is there on behalf of God. It's kind of like that scene in Hook. You know, I know Benjamin knows this. Gandhi ate more than this, right? But we don't have to imagine the spirit as God is going to fill the table, but it's his job to do so. And so what I'm going to talk to you today is about what that is, what that looks like, God's spirit. In Exodus 40, 34, it talks about, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's an intense sense of the presence of God. A cloud, a visible cloud covers the tent of meeting and God's glory fills the tavern. This is what I'm talking about. That's the same glory we were talking about week, two weeks ago about God putting inside of us, which is crazy, but cool. That's what we're talking about. So I want to open up, as we're, we're going to be talking about this for a while. Today, I want you to know this. There really is more. God doesn't want you to stumble through life claiming to follow him and be falling down all the time and sad all the time and angry all the time. That's not how it's supposed to work. And it isn't just, okay, I'll try harder next time and it will be better. That also doesn't work. You do have to try. That's not like, you know, but that's not how it works, okay? It's his spirit inside of us that does the work. And so we're going to look at the story in Acts 2 and because it is a long passage, Andy's going to help read it aloud. If you want to read along, it's Acts 2, we're going to do uh, 2 through 24, and then jump to 37 through 39, so it'll be up on the screen, but Andy's going to read, because he reads better than me. Rest your voice for a moment. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staring in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, yeah, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for, whom all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy. <clears throat> so we have a story here, and it's a crazy story. I know a lot of you are familiar with it, and you'll be even more familiar with it when we cover it again in a couple months. But you have this situation the, the, where the apostles have gathered, a crazy thing happens, and then everybody else reacts around them asking mainly two questions. You see that in verse 12. They say, what does this mean? And in verse 37, they ask Peter, what do we do about all this? What does this mean, and what do we do? And I'm borrowing this a little bit from Mark Rutland's message, where we're going to look at this story and ask and answer these questions. What does this mean, and what do we do about it? And so, a little bit of background. So they were gathered, and it's, this is 50 days after Passover. This is another feast, which we remember Stephen Marion taught us about the feast. They were gathered on that day, Pentecost, which is 50 days after Passover, which is called the Feast of Weeks. It also was a wheat harvest, and it celebrates, if I'm correct, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That's when, you know, and they read the Ten Commandments and stuff. So that's kind of there as a marker of uh, the day, just so you know when it is. So when you hear, like, we have, oh, it's Pentecost Sunday, that's a borrowed thing. If, we, don't even, we don't say that, but people do, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, they're, they're gathered on Pentecost is the day this happens. Um, but that's not really why they're gathered. They're not gathered to celebrate Pentecost per se, because here's what happened with them. Jesus, the Savior, has come. You're his disciples. We covered this stuff last week on Easter. He's killed by people, not good, but then he raises from the dead. Good. And you're like, great, back in the game again. And then Jesus goes, okay, so I've got this thing I want you to do. We call it the Great Commission. Go into all the world, which is the same size it was then, without planes. Go into all the world and preach. 
And if people believe you and call upon my name, they will be saved. And if not, they're going to go to hell forever. Like, what? Also, the Roman Empire will try to kill you while you do this. They're not going to like any of this. Like, what, what? Also, there's like an established religion here that killed me. They're also going to try to kill you. You're like, what are you, what? Are you, what? And by the way, I need to go. What are, you, what are you talking about? Like, I thought we were in the game again, you know. And you see in Acts 1, Peter's confused. He's like, are you going to do the kingdom thing now? Like, and he's like, I got to go do this, you know. But in Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus has this interaction. He says, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there's this promise there. So he gives him this whole thing. Go into all the world, do this thing. Serious big deal. Everyone's going to try to kill you, and I'm not going to be there anymore. And you go, wait, (laughs) what? But they had an instruction. Don't leave yet until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think they were praying Okay, God, we've got a feast coming up. So, on that feast day, how about we have some wind come in the room, and then fire can come on all of us, we'll speak in different languages, and then, yeah, that, that, that'll do it. That'll work, you know. I'm pretty sure, I can't 100% verify this, but let's go with a good 98 or 99%. No one was thinking that, okay? They're thinking probably something like, help! <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I can't do anything you just said at all. And Jesus is like, you're not going to. I'm, we're, the Holy Spirit's going to do it through you. You're involved, but I'm doing it, okay? Like, you think you, think you can heal people? I'm telling you to go heal people. You think you could do that? No. I, this is not how this works. This is what I'm trying to say. Our Christian life isn't out of this works that we do. Like, okay, please try harder next time. You know what I mean? That's not how this works. So... They're longing for something to happen. And here's what I think about this. The more desperate you get before God, the less specific you start to get about how it has to work out. This is just my opinion. I can't show you a verse on this. But it seems to me if you're like, all right, God, I'm going to make some sort of deals with you and all this kind of stuff. God sometimes deals. I'm not saying he doesn't ever. I mean, there's some examples of that. But the more desperate you get... (laughs) The more open you get to God just doing what, you know, because God is God and will do whatever God wants to do. You follow with that, you know, because what are you going to tell him? No, you know, but the thing is your openness to that or ability to see that that's what he's doing is key for it having an impact most of the time. And so what I'm seeing is the more desperate, if you take the weight of this assignment Jesus has given all these people and you and you're hiding almost saying we need help. His answer comes in a highly unexpected way, but they're, like, ready for it. And so we have the two questions. We're going to move really quickly. What does this mean, and what shall we do? What does this mean? Well, Peter answers this one. Paraphrase here. He says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus was killed. Now he's raised from the dead, and because Jesus is Lord, he's giving life and forgiveness to all who call upon his name. In verse 21, it says, to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does this mean? It means the church was born in this moment. The Holy Spirit comes and fills this group of people. It's the beginning of what we call the church that we're part of right now. It happens in this moment. 
And, and in that sense, there's no such thing as like a Pentecostal and non-Pentecostal church. And I know these terms get used nowadays in our church world, and they mean things. So that does exist. But in the sense of like a spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled church, there's no such thing as that. It's all spirit-filled or it's not the church, okay? doesn't mean it has to look a certain way necessarily. I do think there are markers, which we have plenty of time to talk about later. But the point is... In the grand sense, there's no such thing as a non-spirit-filled and a spirit-filled church. There's this church which is spirit-filled and something else. might be a nice club or nice people to hang out with. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's not the church. It's not what we're seeing here. And in that way, the church was defined. The Spirit's presence and power defines the church. The, ch- the church and people can do plenty of good stuff without the Spirit of God. And I'm, so it's not really being for or against good stuff. We're just saying that the, the definition of the people of God are the people who carry within them the presence and the Spirit of God, okay? That body of believers around the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's important to know because so many of us think that this church thing is a social group we hang out in to do better, whatever that it means. It's not. It's a group of people who've realized that Because of Jesus, we're free from sin and all the bad things we've done and all the bad things that have been done to us and that we don't have to fear death like Betty isn't and that his spirit will come and literally live inside of us and enable us to do incredible things. So what shall we do about it? Like they go, I get the message. What do we do about it? Peter also answers this one. He says, repent, which means turn away from the bad stuff. Be baptized, which is a symbol of death and resurrection. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That one gets left out a lot or made weird. We need to make it not weird, okay? That's literally his instructions at the beginning of the church that we're all a part of. Repent, necessary. I'm not in charge anymore. Jesus is. Be baptized as a symbol of our resurrection with a new life. And then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And like we said, you go, well, does that happen when you get baptized? It's like, it doesn't matter. It just happens. You need to do all three of these things. And this is what's really interesting about it. Because, like I said, I don't think they were, like, listing off instructions to God in their prayers. I mean, if we get up and we stand before the Lord and he's like, actually, they were praying specifically for fire and wind. Okay, whatever. But the, the point is, Peter is able to recognize the Spirit of God in this moment. I guarantee you right now, if a whole bunch of smoke filled this room, my first feeling would be something's on fire. Okay? Yeah. And it's not wrong to think that way. Okay? But when you start seeing God do things, oftentimes they seem quite mundane at first. But he was able to see what God was up to in the middle of all this. And he, he says, oh, this is that. You know, they go, what is all this stuff? What does it mean? What is going on here? And he goes, this is, this is what Joel was talking about. And he connects to all of this. This is that same spirit that was brooding over the waters at the beginning of creation. It's the same pillar of cloud and fire that led the Hebrews out of Israel. It parted the Red Sea. It filled the judges with the spirit of God. It enabled them to do amazing things. He also put the, the you see like in Ezekiel where there's like a valley of dry bones. He's like, speak to the bones. And like they come together and turn into an army. Like it's the same spirit. It's the one Joel was talking about. And so he quotes it. All these things. And you look, when he says this whole picture, you can read over it. It's like, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. But what he's saying in there that 
The presence of God, the Spirit of God coming inside of you changes things. Hope is suddenly injected. And you look at that, you know, children, what does it say? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Not just some people, all people. That's a huge deal. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream. You see, now, visions, like, this is how this is. He's doing this on purpose. Visions is like an old people thing. So here, like this, like, Suddenly, with the Spirit of God inside of us, young people will speak with authority. And old people will dream about the future, which is the opposite of what you would normally say. Young people will dream about the future, and old people talk about how things were, or whatever, or complain about how things were. Now, sorry, the, uh, what, what he's saying now is with God involved, children will speak the Word of God, with authority, and old people will dream about things that are to come. That's the kind of stuff God does. He changes, when he comes in, he changes things we don't think are changeable. This is, a, this is a thing we need to know. It's not just about how we feel, but you feel it. And it's not just about, you know, our little lives, but it is. Okay? And I wanted to share again, like, in my life, God has done multiple. I could stand here for a long time and talk to you about things God has done in my life like this. And it's exciting. I'm only going to talk about one because it connects a little bit with this. Because I think the disciples, as I said, were desperate. They're like, God, I can't do anything you're talking about. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Like... They had, they had an interesting perspective. This is why I want to share this story about my life. They'd been close to Jesus, okay? It's not like you're going to convince them. No, you really need to understand that Jesus is God. They're like, we were there. Like, what do you I watched him heal blind people and raise somebody from the dead. I talked to him after he was dead, and he's not dead anymore. You're going to tell me? You know what I mean? Yet... They still don't have what it takes to do this thing that Jesus is talking about on their own power. It's not just about being convinced. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? They'd been around Jesus. They'd seen him do great things. In the book of John, you see that Jesus did many, like, this is like a closing of the book of John. So it's right before Acts in our Bible. Jesus did many things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So, like, that's probably hyperbolic to make a point, but the this, this, this statement is true that, like, they'd seen Jesus do some stuff. And I had been in a place in my life where, like, I'd been seeing Jesus do some stuff. I didn't grow up in a place where I was like, well, you know, and then I was all addicted to drugs, and then, you know, God radically changed my life. And you'd be like, wow, that was a great story. It's not that exciting. I kind of grew up and was in a family, and people told me about who Jesus was. And I was like, oh, that, sounds, that makes sense to me. And then I was in a place where people were talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I had seen this story. We just read it. That makes sense to me. And then when we prayed for people, and some people started speaking another language, and I was like, that makes sense to me, because I'd seen it in the book. I'm like, but I felt completely the same. And I was watching other people, like, crying, and their life was changed, and I was like, did I miss something here? Like, I'm just standing in this crowd of people, and like, nothing. And it wasn't like you needed to convince me. I was like these guys. Like, I was like, I, be I believe it, okay? It's not like, like, well, you're resisting the Spirit of God. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I was the first guy there to get prayed for. Like, let's do this, you know? 
And I believe it's working because I'm watching it change other people's lives, okay? But it's not changing me. Or at least not like I want it to or whatever. There's still this brokenness in me. And I felt sort of like maybe these guys did where they're like, okay, I got it. I see how all this works. But I still don't have what it takes or something needs to change. There's missing pieces here. And that's where I think a lot of us live. And we've taken this sort of, like, I think that the enemy would be so happy to just, like, they don't, the enemy doesn't want you to know who Jesus is. But if you find out, oh, it's like, okay, let's keep it to ourselves or something like that. And a great way to do that is just to make you think you're just like everybody else. You just got in on this little secret thing. And isn't that great? You're still going to, your life is going to be terrible on the inside and the outside, just like everybody else's and blah, 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 blah. And that is not how we're supposed to live as Christian people. And again, it's not because we just did everything right. It's absolutely because we didn't, but it's because of what he does within us. Okay. I'm trying to cover a couple things. But I found myself, I've like, I don't think I've screwed this up. I don't think I've missed the thing. They want me to come forward to get prayed for. I want to be prayed for. I want God to change my life. And I come to stand forward. And like, and like literally nothing happens in any sort of measurable way that I can detect. So you go, well, God is still working. I'm like, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying I'd like to get in on it a little bit. Okay. Like, fine, open my eyes to see the bit, you know. I even had, like, we would have services, and, like, don't get all upset or anything, but, like, there would be sometimes our college ministry, my brother's here, um, we both married girls from the same college ministry. It's also where Gary Webb was at, so a little context there. We would have prayer services, and they would be praying for people, and God would fill people, and some people would fall on the ground for like a long time, and God would do all this great stuff in their life, and then they would tell stories about it, you know, like, I was abused, and blah, 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 and now I feel I can finally love myself, and I'm like, gosh, that sounds kind of awesome, you know, because I don't feel like that at all, you know, like, I'm, like, I'm here helping pray for people, and I feel like crap, you know, and, and <laughs> the thing was, I, this is where the problem comes in, is it's one thing if you're the new guy, and you go, Gee, I didn't know I could not feel like crap. This Jesus thing, that's wonderful. And then they pray for you, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I feel so free. I don't know what, you know. And I was like, I was sitting over here going, ah, dang it. Like, I, I already know all this stuff. So this is like, this is it for me, which that's pretty crappy. And so I'd given up, you know, in the sense of like, and I wasn't totally disappointed pointed about it. I was like, well, it could be worse, I guess. But this weird dark thing started inside me to get like darker and deeper and you know, and then as I was a freshman in college, I was really going into a dark place of I don't know, you call it depression, call it whatever you want. But it was mostly probably centered around this idea of I have all that God can offer and it doesn't work for me or it's not good enough. Or something's missing seriously. Or I feel like there is. I'm not going to complain to God and all because God's too big to worry about it. And he's good. It's not God's fault. It must be my fault. Something's wrong. But I'm watching God change other people's lives. And I can't believe that anymore. And mine isn't. That's a problem. So I, I, was, I probably didn't talk to many people about it because, you know, their, <laughs> their lives were being changed. So I'm like, I'm not going to rain on the party here. But there was a couple people I talked to about. And I got to, like I said, sad, depressed, broken, and nothing left. Or nothing, not expecting anything else. So I was like, yeah, I mean, this is it. So I'll hang in there. We'll do all right, I guess. But 
So then what happened in my life is I, there had been this revival that was going on in Pensacola. We talked about this, but I'm going to share it again just because you need to hear it again, that I had heard there was a church there where God was doing something special. And I was like, wow, that's really awesome. And so a friend of mine was like, well, let's go. It's Friday. And when gas is 80 cents, we were in Tallahassee and it was in Pensacola. We're like, I got 10 bucks or whatever, you know, let's drive over. So we drove over there and we didn't get in because there's so many people coming. They had put us in like this other building and I was like, eh, great. We drove all these hours and now we're in like watching a video screen and, you know, and it wasn't even cool like it is now. It was like, you know, <laughs> the 90s or, or like the, or, you know, where there's like, we ran a wire over here and it's pretty crappy looking and, you know. And they did a good job, no offense if anybody's watching. But the thing is, I was like, come on, man. We like, so I'm depressed and mad at God or whatever. And in this place where God's supposed to change people's lives, even more so because I'm open to that. Like, I'm not resisting spirit. I'm here. I'm trying to do it. You know, and then I'm like, oh, it's terrible, you know. Like, come forward if you want to get prayed for. I was like, great. Okay, you know. We've been there and done that. We do that every week. It's just, what, do you got a different God than we got? No, you know. But I'll do it because I'm desperate. I'm like them. I'm like, help. I'm open. It had not happened in my life. So the service kind of dies down, and we get to, like, the ending part. And they're praying for people. And this place was crazy. It's called the Brownsville Revival. If you're interested, go on YouTube. There's a lot there. It'll freak you out, but it's a good thing. We can talk about it. Um, they would pray for, like, thousands of people every service. It was crazy. Like, the whole front. I mean, it was a big room, and the whole front would be jammed, and people were all over the floor, and crazy things, and there were... It was weird. I mean, like there was like witches there and stuff, which I didn't like. Didn't have a whole grid for. You mean like you mean like the pointy hat thing? Like no, like these people are here to try to curse people because they're spiritually like what? What are you talking about? Like they don't have something better to do at their time. This is I mean, so it was a weird place, okay? And so, um, but I was cool with all of that in the sense of like you know whatever. If I, I mean like I'm not afraid of some witch, you know. I mean God's here, but we're getting off topic. Point is. The service went, went long, and they pray for so many people that, like, I guess the fire, like, some people had started to leave. So my friend was like, look, we drove all the way over here. Why don't we go in the main room? And I said, yeah, let's do that. Even though that guy told us not too earlier, I bet some people have left, and it's cool now. And it was. So we went across the parking lot and went into the main room, which, again, so do you say, well, Brian, do you believe that the Spirit of God is not everywhere. I go, no, God's everywhere. Like, everywhere. It's like, well, do you believe that the Spirit does specific... I, I don't even know, okay? So if you say, theologically, you're like, explain what you're telling me. I'm like, I can't. I will tell you this, though, that God can do, like I said, whatever God wants to do. And if you're praying for God to move like these guys were, and the fire of God shows up, you don't go, no, oh, God, hold up a bit, you know? You know, I want to talk about this and make sure we're okay with how you're deciding to start the church. He didn't ask. And, you, and the thing is, when you're desperate, you don't care. And so I was not even praying that God would do anything. I'd given up. I was kind of mad that I'd been in the, the, what other, the other room was. So we're sneaking in to the real place, and I walked through the door. And at that moment... I felt all that stuff leave me. Like I walked through a screen and it couldn't go in. Now, why did God do that? I have no idea. And is that the only way that God moved in my life? Absolutely not. But I will tell you this. It kept me in the game a couple times. Because 
This is what I want you to understand. If you're like I was and you don't realize there's more because you go, I got it all. I have all the information, so this must be it. And it wasn't it. And I had stopped even praying for it because I didn't think it was an option anymore. And God decides, because he wants to, that when I walk through that door, that everything in my life would change. And I said, it's not the end of the struggle. But it gave me the understanding. I was like, oh, taste and see of the Lord is good. Then I'll hunger for the food. And it's not about a permanent state of hunger. Because I went back, okay? And I took a whole bunch of folks to it. Like, I was kind of like, People are like, I don't know if I'm into this thing. Like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, and it freaks some people. I, I don't know. I, I probably took, I tallied it up once. I think it probably took like 250 people total. I don't know what happened with everybody. It doesn't, I don't really care. I mean, I care, but I don't feel obligated to whatever. Um, it was out of pure, like, if God's doing this to me, I'm sure he wants to do it to more people. He doesn't have to do the door thing. Okay, I'm not like, wait, walk through the door. Did you feel it? <laughs> I didn't do that <laughs> because I, I didn't know. Like, I didn't have grid for all of that, and I still don't, and I don't really need one. But when you get in that environment, I, I want to say this now. You have to know there's more, and you, once you taste it, you hunger for it. But God doesn't want you to just be hungry. So we're not going to go down this whole path of when you get in these kind of groups where God's doing something, you know, you can get in things like, I'm super hungry for God. I'm like, what? And no one says it that way, but that's what they're saying. And what that promotes is a lifestyle of, it's like the same thing. It's like, I'm always hungry and never filled. I'm always hungry and never filled. And that isn't what God is teaching us. He's saying, you have hunger. What do you do? You eat. And then you're not hungry anymore. And then you get hungry again. And then you eat. And that's why we talked about being filled with the Spirit isn't just like, you know, Peter says, you baptize and receive the gift of the Spirit. And then later in Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk on wine. What did they say these guys looked like? They were drunk on wine. There's something to this, okay? Sometimes the Spirit of God makes you seem like you're drunk. I mean, even physically, but it changes you. But he says here, don't be drunk on wine, but, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Kayla, come on up here. And that be filled is really trans, is a Greek thing. It's like continuously, like be being filled. Like hunger. You're hungry, so eat. And so all I'm wanting to say to you is that we have this table that God has shown us. It's ready. For the Spirit in the presence of God, and He wants to fill it. And I believe He's waiting on us to sit there, like in that scene in Hook, and say, Where's the food? And all I want to say is if you are like these disciples, like I was, I want you, if you're comfortable, I know with COVID and everything, we can spread across the front. You're going to talk to God, and we're going to say, Help! Or I want this. You don't even have to, it doesn't have to be specific, but I feel inside of me a hunger for more. I don't want to live this fake or halfway Christian life. I want to live a a life filled with the Spirit, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, like we were talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You good on all that? And the, and the, the gifts of the Spirit, the ability to do the types of things that Jesus did in our day and age, a touch, a taste of the kingdom of God here and now. He wants to do these things through every single one of us. Not just a couple people. Every single one of us. And He will, and He does. And we're going to sing a song. But I want you to come. If you want to come, you need to come and sit before the Lord or stand before the Lord. And we need to say to Him corporately, Father, we're hungry. Please fill us and stir up within this body of believers a hunger to even know what hunger is. I want to taste. Maybe this is really the word. I want to taste and see that you are good. So while we're singing, if you want to come forward and do that, if you're at home, maybe move in some way. It's a symbol to God. It's a statement to say, I am like that. I want, I need this. This isn't just pretending for me. I need this. So Father, I pray that you would move in this place, move in our hearts. Give us the hope that there is more. Like the prophet Joel said, in these days you will pour out your spirit on all flesh and that we will be able to dream dreams and see visions and hope for the future. Let's pray that you would fill our hearts as we come in Jesus' name.